Hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of Objective Health. Joining me in the virtual studio is Doug, Elliot, Tiff, and Damien behind the scenes. Hello. Welcome all. Hello. I'm your host, Erica. Today, we're going to go back into mad science and uh, the human potential of a brave new world. Yikes. Dr. Mercola just put out an article about genetically modified humans. Where have I heard that before? Mm. Hmm. I feel like we've talked about it before, but if you uh, haven't listened in the past, um, it's coming out. There's uh, information about how the uh, World Economic Forum claims that genetic modification is the way of the future. There's uh, studies suggesting that in some cases, COVID injections might lead to changes in human DNA. Hmm, More research is needed on that. Uh, There's even a disability rights attorney, Todd Callender, who looked at a Supreme Court case from 2013, which led him to believe that using mRNA to modify genomes may turn people into the legal property of patent holders. Great. Uh, making us biologically dependent on the artificial immunity service is bad for the people, uh, but really good for business. So yeah, we're going to talk about genetically modified humans and what it means for you. Yeah. Yeah. So where do we start? Well, it was interesting in that Mercola article, um, they were talking about how in Chile, they just passed a law prohibiting employers to discriminate against genetically impaired employees. That's kind of odd. Yeah. Does somebody expect a great increase in the number of genetically impaired uh, people? And why is that? So they list a, a bunch of the articles within the law, but the first one I thought was worth reading. No employer may, uh, may condition the hiring of workers, their permanence or the renewal of their contract or the promotion or mobility of their employment to the absence of mutations or alterations in their genome that cause a predisposition or a high risk of a pathology that may manifest itself during the course of the employment relationship, nor require such purposes any certificate such purposes any certificate or examination that allows verifying that the worker does not have mutations or alterations of genetic material in his human genome that may lead to the development or manifest in a disease or physical or mental abnormality in the future. Mm. That's just weird. That's just weird. Like, it's making a law for something that doesn't exist at this point. Yet. Yet. They're envisaging or imagining a future where there are so many people who have some kind of genetic alteration that employers everywhere in Chile, at least, are going to they're going to need a special law to make sure that these people are not discriminated against. Yeah, that is well weird. (laughs) It's weird. that they won't even mention, like, what do they think would cause such things to come to pass? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, considering we've just had like a worldwide, global, enforced vaccination of gene editing technology, I mean, it's kind of, it's a little bit coincidental, right? Yeah. Uh, to say that it's it, we don't have it, well, I mean, 
maybe there's some people who know things that we don't know yeah. about what these vaccines do, you know? Uh, and that's just maybe the tip of the iceberg because it's not to say that there's not going to be more other types of gene editing technologies and things that they might be looking to introduce some point down the line. But it seems awfully convenient that it's coming very shortly after we've had this like massive uh, campaign to uh, employ mRNA based vaccines, uh, which is technically gene editing technology. So, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, later on in the article, they start talking about the idea of ownership, right? And they talk about how when the genes BC, BRCA1 and BRCA2, when they were discovered, and it was found that they um, their mutations can dramatically increase the risk of breast cancer, um, basically, the company that discovered it, I guess, tried to basically patent it. Um, it says, if valid, Myriad's patents would give it the exclusive right to isolate an individual's BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes and would give Myriad the exclusive right to synthetically create BRCA cDNA. In other words, they would have the sole right to tinker with that gene to, I guess, correct the mutation and make it so the person didn't have an increased risk of breast cancer. Um, now, so far, I mean, they legally tried to get that right. And so far, as far as I know, a naturally, it says a naturally occurring DNA segment is a product of nature and not patent eligible merely because it has been isolated. But cDNA is, a patent, eligible, is patent eligible because it is not naturally occurring. So in other words, the technology that they've created, the DNA segment to uh, correct this problem is patentable. So it does kind of bring up the question that if you go through that, you discover you have this genetic mutation and you go through their, um, their uh, uh, therapy, whatever that may be, involving um, replacing genetics, you have their patented property in your body. So what does that mean legally? What rights do they have over your body at that point? They can recall you. I wonder. Like a head of lettuce. <laughs> I do wonder. Because, I mean, Words. you know. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no. Go on. <laughs> well, I do wonder just because, you know, you can only assume that this kind of thing is going to start to become much more widespread. Um, and, you know, I, like as, as much as we uh, talk about the, the dangers of genetic modification and that kind of thing, um, I've kind of held the position from the beginning that I think if, if, if you are correcting kind of um, – you know, innate genetic problems that somebody's born with and they're suffering and you can do some gene tinkering and actually make it better. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Um, you know, tinkering with our food and all that kind of stuff, you know, or trying to give yourself super strength or x-ray vision or something like that. Yeah, that that I think it starts to get into some wacky kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, like, you know, curing diseases that are genetic uh, genetic diseases, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with. But I think that these kinds of legal frameworks definitely have to be worked out because the idea that you would undergo some kind of gene therapy because of a condition that you had since birth, but then all of a sudden, like you're beholden to the company in some way um, because they, your, your genes are their genetic prop or are their, uh, uh, their property. Uh, yeah. I think I have a pretty serious problem with that. Mm. 
Well, it's kind of like having the technology with all the upgrades, right? So you have a certain phone and you have to continually upgrade. So if you sign on to this, you know, you have to, it's medicine by subscription. Like you got to keep upgrading and adding and, you know, maybe you break your contract or you violate the patent law if you don't go along with it. So it's a slippery slope for sure. Or if you don't have your scheduled upgrade, you may start to malfunction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like you said, Doug, it does bring in a whole lot about privacy and DNA data collection. And, you know, so say you are a carrier of some mutant gene and you want to have children and you're genuinely concerned about your child inheriting that gene and whatnot. I mean, what does that mean about all your, your information, but also your child's information in the future? And, you know, I, I started to kind of see this when the whole in vitro thing started to become popular, where people were having, you know, fertilized eggs implanted in them and whatnot. And then we know that they were using this technology in China because of Dr. Tiffany, I know you know his name. He, 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 yeah, the one oh, that, yeah. you know, genetically uh, edited using CRISPR-9 technology, the HIV out of these twins. And so, you know, they drop these kind of bombshells and what are the long-term implications of that? I mean, we've never heard any follow-up about how these children are doing. And I think that was like four or five years ago. So, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, what is it, what does it mean for your information. And we know we live in an age where data is a super hot commodity financially. So, you know, you can't get a job because you may have some genetic defect. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of creepy. I'm a little creeped out by it. Well, a lot of the times I always try to use this, oh, it'll help the disabled people be able to see it's or true. move their arms or it's for the children or we'll, you yeah. know, we'll have superpowers and we'll all be Superman and everything like that. But if your genetic disability or your genetic uh, DNA functioning is so bad, shall we say, that it might impair your work performance and have your employer be suspicious of whether or not you can actually do the tasks required of you at work and want to genetically test you, it doesn't sound like you're going to be a Superman to me. Because <laughs> if you were like, you know, your boss would be like, yeah, let's get these mutants in here because they're like, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Your entire workforce is X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it all reminds me of the stuff, and I think I just spoke about this on another show recently, but the whole thing with like Monsanto, um, where they basically got farmers addicted to their chemical agriculture by, you know, using Bio their... sludge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I mean, everything. Yeah. And, and it was oh. like, you know, that there was the whole uh, genetic drift thing too, where like their genetically modified crops were contaminating non-genetically modified crops. I mean, can that help with happen with people too? I don't know. I mean, what if you wake up one day and uh, because your buddy at work got some kind of uh, genetic upgrade, now you've got it too. And you're hooked on the system as well. What are the implications of that? I mean, it's exactly mm -hmm. what happened with the, uh, the Monsanto stuff. 
it's like they they just came into these farmers who had never planted any uh, Monsanto seeds, and they said, "You're growing our stuff. You owe us money." Mm -hmm. I was reading a paper earlier on kind of the ethical considerations of mass gene editing technology or being made to the to the public, and and the authors of the paper actually made some really interesting points, which I think are valid. You know, they they spoke about this whole. Uh, this tendency, not just among the elites, uh, the transhumanist types, but also among, um, say, upper upper middle class or more wealthy individuals, this kind of biohacking phenomena, right? This is a, a common thing now. It's, it's about all about human optimization, whatever that actually means. And uh, they 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 make the point that with this CRISPR cast what is it cas6 cas9 technology cas9 Cas uh yeah this this technology it's it's not actually that difficult to do if you have the right tools and because uh kind of techno in this technological age you get this democratization of these kind of scientific me methods where whereby uh for instance, a whole sequence, whole whole sequence, uh, whole, whole genome sequencing was previously an extremely high level scientific method. Now it's being like opened up completely to the public. There's all of these kind of technologies and things which have previously been among only elite institutions in science, with very strict uh, rules and regulations as to what they can and can't do. You've got this kind of thing filtering through into the public. And they give a scenario, they, you know, they say, uh, what's going to happen if you have this kind of democratization or this filtering down of the gene editing technology? This gets into the hands of people, biohackers, you know, humans uh, among the general public who are not trained in science, who are not trained in kind of scientific ethics or anything like that and really just don't care. They just want to play around with, with stuff. Like it could very easily go go extremely wrong. You know, there's so many things that could go wrong. And and they make the point that like at the same time, you can't entrust scientists in this field to to be able to advise on whether this is is uh like where to stop, for instance. Like they 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 say, you know, scientists many times they have their own biases and the, really many of the things that drive them in at least certain situations is economic gain is uh personal fame is is accomplishment whatnot they want to push it to the next level so um like there's so many potential problems with editing human dna not only if it, if it, if, it, if it gets out into the general public as a kind of becoming a more normal thing or even if it just stays among scientists you see from that Zhang He or whatever his name is, like many of the scientists, they can't be trusted, mm -hmm. not because they're bad people, but simply because of the nature of the work that they're doing. You know, you need an outside, you need some kind of oversight and it needs to be extremely strict. Um, and the authors of this paper are basically saying like, is, is this worth it? You know, like, is it worth being able to cure a couple of very, uh, debilitating hereditary conditions which might affect a fraction of a percentage of the population you know is it actually a very slippery slope that we're walking down towards 
And is this going to get into the hands of the wrong people, which could have basically permanent uh, long-standing effects on the rest of humanity, you know? Most definitely. Yeah, morality is not always thought of as being a domain that scientists are very, I don't know, uh, good at. <laughs> um, I think you're right, Elliot. I think uh, a lot of times what's driving um, these scientists is like personal accomplishment or fame, money, you know, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I think I think that's a, a very real concern. Well, in the article, um, there was a link to an article called Privacy in 2034, a, co a corporation owns your DNA and maybe your body. And it's a New York University professor uh, talks about the future of privacy. And I'll just read the little intro to the article and you can take from it what you will. The year is 2034, the world is divided into protected biometric data zones. And every time you go anywhere, your DNA and other biological elements of your body are authenticated across vast databases to confirm your identity and that you haven't broken any corporate or legal rules. A new economic and social class system has emerged where the wealthy can pay to atomize and protect their data. Powerful companies mine everyone else's biodata while governments create universal genetic databases to keep tabs on citizens. You have no idea where your data really is, who owns it, and who has access to it. And she yeah. said it sounds like a hellish dystopia. <laughs> yeah, it I certainly does. She's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's a real concern. I remember uh, recently there was that whole scandal where Google, what was it? Like a whole bunch of information at Google was uh, leaked and it was all kinds of people's medical information that they hadn't even given permission for Google to have because mm -hmm. they were uploading it all to some kind of new thing where Google was going to kind of hold all the medical data that could then be accessed by the right people, but nobody signed on for it. And all of a sudden their, uh, their medical information was just out there for people to grab. Um, so it's already a concern now. Um, and that's without even getting into genetic data. Uh, that's just your right. medical, medical history and information. Yeah, Companies so. have been busted time after time after time selling people's data that they previously professed that they would keep secret or private mm -hmm. oh it was a leak Oops. Yeah. oops well in the article she talks about just some of the stuff that's coming out like uh kia the car company is building into cars emotional detection to tell if you have road rage uh amazon filed a patent for emotional recognition and She's saying that they're sure it will come into our lives in the form of Alexa taking baseline readings of your voice and then using machine learning over time to understand when you're depressed, anxious, happy, or have a cold. Uh, Walmart filed a patent for a connected shopping cart that would gather health data like your heart rate and temperature to monitor how stressed you are as you move around the store. Oh, mine would be off the charts. I <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> I can see them so using that. Just, 
I can see yeah. them using that to like, uh, you know how for like cows and stuff like that, when they're going to the slaughterhouse, they did a whole bunch of like psychological work with them to kind of like calm them down as they're like going into the, the slaughterhouse and everything like that, using the right kind of colors. And I can see that Walmart would probably use the same thing. It's like, if we play yeah. this elevator music, everybody's very calm. But if we play this one, they're a little bit more excited, but they buy more. And how do we know that they're not like putting like the coupon ads in your brain? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, well, you should buy two cartons of milk today because you'll get 50 cents off. You know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean the, it just seems like creepy. And Alexa always seems so creepy to me anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, and Siri and all of it. And, you know, they talk about the wearables, which have been around for a long time now, you know, oh, you're not getting enough sleep. Maybe you need some ambient or even with the Walmart thing too. Like, so say you put cookies in your cart and so you get to the checkout and they're like, ah, uh -uh, sorry, you're <laughs> diabetic. You know what I mean? Sorry, I fatty. Mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. As we all know, corporations like Walmart, Amazon, and Google, like they're not looking out for your best interests. I hate to say. <laughs> yep, definitely true. Because of course they'll probably um, it's probably it'll probably get wired straight to your medical insurance company, so that mm -hmm. they know you're buying cookies, and you'll get a phone call within seconds of leaving the store. We noticed that you just purchased cookies and uh, your diabetic. You're like, it's for my daughter. It's not for me. I'm not about to go home and eat this whole bag. Insurance canceled. Sorry, fat. <laughs> yeah. It's that pre-crime too. You might have eaten it. We don't know. We better come and you know sequester you to some safe place like the Dollar General or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> Well, the, one of the interesting things about this article is this woman goes through all this trouble to lay out this dystopian future, but then she's like, yeah, you know, that probably won't happen. It'll just probably be something neutral. Well, I guarantee, like, if you can envision this and, you know, come up with all these different scenarios, you can believe that a bunch of other people have thought of the same thing too. And sadly enough, a lot of those people have the money and the technology to actually make it happen. Whether we want it to or not, but yeah. Well, she brings up some interesting questions at the end. She yeah. says, who owns your biometric data? Should you have a right to keep your emotions, mental state and other biometric details private from persistent recognition? I would argue yes. Yep. Dear God, what a question. Private. Like imagine every time you had uh, feelings about, um, you know, how unhappy and close to rage you were at work. Mm -hmm. And then that got wired to your boss. Is, is that a good, is that a good situation? She goes on, how can your organization or company use this biodata and ethically, right? Who actually owns your DNA? Well, I would argue that I own my DNA. And uh, nobody else can own my DNA. Uh, can you trademark your DNA so no one else can copy or use it? Well, that's interesting. If you don't technically own your DNA, then who owns your body and all the stuff in it? Well, I would say me. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is a cold dystopian future that we're looking at here. So I don't know the way things are going to be in the future. Yeah.
Well, then she goes on to say, even Silicon Valley venture capitalists think that the data privacy conversation is long overdue. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anything they can make a buck on, I tell you what, and control you all the way into the future if they can extend human life and all that. I mean, it's like every creepy, weird sci-fi movie mixed into one. I mean... Yeah. Well, yeah. there's also what was that the the WEF guy Schwab, and he's the, he's got that kind of like right hand man guy uh, Yuval Yuval Harari. Yeah, that guy is scary. doing some scary stuff, like yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. He's basically saying that the 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 days of privacy and uh, free human will. rights, few free will, the, that's, that's all over. over. It's done. Yeah. It's like you're just holding on to the past. That, yeah, that guy is... uh... Yeah, there's this whole discussion about how, like, how human rights only applied to the situation where humans were still human. Whereas these days, humans are no longer human. Now we're basically like this new race, you know? And so um, according to Harari, that means that we need to come up with like a whole new system of human rights as well, uh, based on this new concept of what it means to be human, which is essentially tapped in or plugged into this kind of, um, or will be plugged into this AI control system of sorts, right? Um, and so, yeah, it, it's it's very interesting because not only are they, desperately attempting to normalize this concept of uh, AI, artificial intelligence, kind of merging with, with humanity in this respect. But also it's, it's very much along the lines of uh, trying to undermine uh, traditional conceptions of, of human rights uh, to, to, to adapt to this new kind of situation. And it seems to be like, well, fairly well, um, accepted by by the population you know that there's i mean he he said this publicly like openly in interviews and, and there've not been any any shock for any anyone kind of calling him out on this apart from what you might see on the alternative media or say certain places on twitter so so it is very interesting to see kind of what they anticipate or what they what they would like to see happen moving forward yeah it's the materialist conception humans are basically just biological machines and they can be programmed and uh utilized however however we want and so much easily more easily controlled obviously like Mm -hmm. that's what it seems like you know we'll we'll just shut off that chip and you're just you know you'd be like your little surrogate in your house and you didn't pay your taxes, so you can't go out for a week or whatever. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just, uh, and who, you know, the people in control, it's pretty obvious for most people paying attention. It's your welfare and health and well being are not the number one priority. It's more about, like you were saying, Doug, like uh, cattle. You know, just get that little chip and they monitor how how the cattle is doing and they herd them here and herd them there and, you know, uh, workers and that's about it. I mean, you still have to have the help if you have your 
ideal population of 500 million, somebody still has to do all the dirty work. You know, they, they can't eliminate humans altogether. Yeah, they're not going to wash their own dishes. No. <laughs> or raise their own children. <laughs> do you remember how on Star Trek, the next generation, the Borg were like the bad guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that kind I of thought what the we're Borg yeah, they're so scary, not to mention they were just ugly and, you know, that half machine, half human look, and they're just walking around like robots and they have no feelings. I always thought it was just so disturbing to see yeah. the Borg on Star Trek. I mean, that's why they were great bad guys, right? Like yeah. that was that they were a, a, a totally scary enemy, this whole hive mind idea, drone people. Mm -hmm. And it's like an appeal to their emotions or anything. Yeah. It's like, and that's what the WEF wants. They watched that and said, hey, that would be really cool. We should we <laughs> should do, do that. Let's do that. <laughs> Crazy. Well, is there anything else? Is there anything else in that article, Elliot, that you found you needed to share? Uh <clears throat> Like there was a lot of stuff there. Yeah, no. In fact, many of the points were somewhat similar to what we've been discussing today, which is essentially that there's so many unknowns in this field. And, and really, it's good to see that there are some there are some academics who are like genuinely concerned about this. Um, I, I was I was looking to see if I could if I could uh, find any uh academic justification or, or kind of um any literature which was along similar lines to the that Yuval Harari's position um where he's basically saying like yeah we need to change the concept of human rights because we're no longer human now we're like Borg uh, <laughs> but but actually no I, I couldn't come up with anything solid and in fact uh, the overall impression that I got from it was that there's so many unknowns and um, and there's basically not really that many measures in place at the moment, which uh, which are designed to prevent bad things from from happening. Well, at least in Chile, uh, if you do have some kind of genetic mutation, you can't sue or you can't be fired. That's that's what it was. <laughs> you can't be fired. So at least we got that. <laughs> Well, and also we can kind of see where it's going to go just based on what's been happening with the whole labeling of genetically modified foods for mm -hmm. 20 some odd years, you know, I mean, there's, you know, we won't be, you know, rehash all that, but you can see again, it's the combination of corporations and special interests, big money people. This is all about a money grab too, to just consolidate wealth. You know what I mean? So, and we know that GMO foods really don't do any better as far as growing environment and all that and health. I mean, you know, Stephanie sent off and the, the implications of it so we know it's a failed science and as you were all saying like yeah maybe the technology's there and it could be used to better things but i think uh we're far off from that i think we should just put it in god's hands <laughs> <laughs> but they they are the new gods isn't that another right. thing yeah, that yeah, yeah. says yeah yeah so they're actually doing that at least in their view 
they're doing God's work or correcting. They God are God's faith. work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What hubris, right? Yeah. My prediction, it's going to backfire. You know, you're going to have rogue genetically modified people <laughs> who are going to behave. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Well, if there's nothing else, as always, we'll continue to follow this into the future and uh, see what happens and what transpires. And um, please like and subscribe, share with your friends that are open to this topic. Not everyone's too open to this. Some people, uh, it's not uh, something they want to discuss. So uh, that's why we're here to try and bring some levity to it all. So uh, thanks to my co-hosts and thank you, Damien, for all the uh, articles and information. And um, we'll be back at you next week with hopefully another maybe more positive, inspiring story in the future of humanity. No, I don't think there are <laughs> positive ones to do. <laughs> So thanks all. Have a great day and we'll see you again. Bye everybody. Bye.